If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them to the passage she read. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. How many of you are familiar with the word and know what it means? The word gaslighting. Gaslighting. Some of us are familiar with gaslighting. Uh, it was the American Dialect Society's word of the year in 1996 because it has become so prevalent in our culture. Here's the definition. It's not lighting, you know, the lamp or your gas logs. Gaslighting is when another person manipulates another person into questioning their reality. Gaslighting is when a person manipulates someone by questioning their reality. Now, the word comes from a movie of the name, Gaslight, 1944, so, you know, Spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you the movie, but you can still watch it. It's uh, a movie in which a man, um, he marries a woman in order to get access to the home of her aunt. Now, he had killed the aunt trying to steal jewels in her house. This, girl, this woman now doesn't know it, and so she marries, he marries this niece so that he can get in that house and can get the jewels he failed to get. Now, what happens is he goes in and he starts searching and doing weird things. And one of the things he does is goes in the attic at night. And when he goes in the attic, he has to adjust the gas lights. See, this setting is, you know, you know, early 19th century. Adjust the gas lights. And when he does, all the gas lights in the house flicker. And when she confronts him, he says... No, that's, that's just the wind blowing. Or No, you're just imagining that. And then the whole movie, okay, he does things. She sees him do it. And when she confronts him, he says, that's not what I did. You, you, you didn't see me doing that. And so she thinks she is going crazy. Now, if you have ever been gaslighted, you know what that feels like. You just kind of go, am I, am I going nuts? What's, I know this is real, but well, I don't know. I want to start there because I want to suggest to you that you and I are incessantly gaslighted by the three great enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That you and I know things. We, we sense reality and we know it, and yet the world, the flesh, and the devil whisper, you know, you got to question your reality. And is this not what happened in the garden? Think about Eve, that Satan came to her with the first word out of his mouth was indeed. And it wasn't indeed. It was indeed. Indeed. Did God say? And, and, and he, had a, he had a point where he could say, you know, I, Eve, I don't believe you were there when God gave that command. I, I think it was just Adam. So, so can you really say God... And what did Eve do? She, she began to doubt her reality and believe the lie. Adam and Eve plunged humanity into rebellion and fallenness. And when you and I are gaslighted, quite frankly, we don't question the deceiver. We start to question ourselves and what we know is true. And we make foolish choices as well. What kryptonite is to Superman, 
Ecclesiastes is to gaslighting. It cannot stand in front of Ecclesiastes and the realities that the preacher gives us. We often uh, hear that and get whispered that, you know, what, what's missing in your life is pleasure. Because that's what you made for, and indeed we were. And so we pursue pleasure, and it comes up empty. And Rob showed us last week the reason why. Because the truth is, we were made for pleasure. And by the way, if you missed Rob's message, may I encourage you to watch it? When I watched it, I immediately texted him and said, wow, that was amazing. And he gave us a biblical theology of pleasure, you see, because we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But when we understand pleasure biblically, then it doesn't leave us empty. It actually gives us pleasure. Well, here in the second half of chapter 2, we're going to pick up uh, where Solomon, having pursued pleasure, believing that would fill the void, right, in life or could, uh, that didn't do it. And so he says, well, I, you know what, I think we'll try, I'll try wisdom, I'll try wisdom and I'll try work, wisdom and work. We think that's going to, you know, again, I, I'll say this, we like Solomon, we, we, we come up a dead end somewhere and we, we go, well, that didn't work. So we too, honestly, will try wisdom and work to fill the void that's within. Uh, Solomon's going to show us both of those come up empty. Uh, the outline for this passage is, it, it gives us three words that we're going to touch on. Uh, they're, they're rather emotionally charged words. There's a wisdom that leads to hating. Hating. This is how it's going to break. There's a wisdom that leads to hating. It goes on, he says, there's a work that leads to despair. It's a good day so far. (laughs) A wisdom that leads to hating. There's a work that leads to despair. And then in the last part, we're going to see there is an acceptance that leads to joy. Hate Despair, joy. With me? That's how the passage breaks out. Now, the question is always going to be, which will it be for us? Will it be a a work that leads to hating life? Will it be a wisdom that leads to hating life or a work that leads to despair? Or will it be an acceptance that leads to joy? I'm not going to reread the passage uh, that uh, Hannah read Uh, I'm just going to touch upon it, but if you'll look in your Bible at verses 12 through 17, this is the wisdom that leads to hate. And what he does is he says, well, I'm going to pursue one extreme, which is wisdom. I'm going to pursue knowledge and intellect. I'm going to figure it all out. And he says, and then I'm going to go to the other extreme, and it's not three things, it's two things. And I'm going to go to mad folly. It's not wisdom, madness, folly. It's wisdom or mad folly. And I'm going to pursue both of those to the nth degree. And I'll see if that fills the void in my heart. In verses 13 and 14, you'll note that he comes to see that wisdom is better than foolishness, like light is better than darkness. Well, there's the starkest contract you can get. And 
he describes it as a, a man who has eyes in his head. What, what does he mean by that? A man who has eyes in his head and the fool stumbles about. He means this. The wise person <clears throat> has eyes in his head. Therefore, when he sees an obstacle, he can avoid it. That's all he's saying. Because he, he's got light. He can avoid the obstacles. The fool stumbles about in darkness. He doesn't even see what he's running into. It's the picture of the light. And the darkness and the difference between the two. But Solomon, never forget this, you all. He's not looking for the superficial answer or even uh, the good answer. He's looking for the ultimate, the ultimate meaning and answer. And therefore, he looks at the fool stumbling. That's no good. And he looks at the wise man who's walking through life and making his way through life and says, well, that's good. But as he watches both of them, He notices something. They both die. They they both come to the same end. And it absolutely crushes him. And he asks the question, what good is it for me to live wisely and for them to live foolishly if we all come to the same end? fate. I'm telling you, this is reality. This is brute honesty. Death is the great equalizer, isn't it? I mean, I don't care how much you have, don't have, wise, foolish, stupid, brilliant. It doesn't matter. We die. And everyone is forgotten. Now, some some of us might say, well, I don't know, you know, people do die, but they're remembered. I mean, there's, there's things in antiquity that remind us of a person, a king, a ruler, or something, you know what I'm saying? Thousands of years old, so wait, everyone's not forgotten. This is where we, we look closer at our, our text, and we'll notice that the word lasting, it's in my, you know, I didn't have to look this up, because it was right in, my, in the center column of my Bible, that the word, it says there is no lasting remembrance and it reminds me in the center column that the literal Hebrew is there is no forever remembering. So it's not that... If we're going to live in such a way that satisfies the soul, Solomon's saying, well, the person has to live in such a way that their, their life and what they did is remembered Not for a thousand years. That's peanuts. No, no, no. It's got to be such that it's remembered. How long? Say it. Y'all, this forever. So you tell me, a thousand years, is it not a blink of your eye? You just blinked your eye. That's a thousand years in light of eternity. Solomon's saying if someone is going to be remembered in a way that truly matters, then they... They need to live their life in such a way that it is remembered forever. And that's worth thinking about for a moment. Let's just just stop right here. We'll we'll stop and go, okay. If I were to die today, what have I done? How have I lived? That will be remembered forever. I mean, it doesn't matter if you put your name on a building because you gave some, uh, endowed a chair at a university. It will not last forever. If wisdom's a dead end, perhaps, perhaps work will bring it. 
perhaps work can bring the satisfaction. That's 18 to 23. Again, I won't read the whole thing. I'll just summarize what Hannah read. Um, Solomon uh, looked at the vast achievements of his own life. And and Rob covered these last week. I'm not going to go into them, only to say this. You know, in his day, we're talking some, you know, say 3,000 years ago. What he accomplished and did, I don't know that it's... I don't know that it's been equaled today. I mean, the, the scope of the things he built and did and made, the, te- the original temple, he, he had multiple homes. His one home took him 13 years to build. When it says he made parks, you know, don't think about, you know, the park in your neighborhood. You've got to think about Central Park, that, that he just made these things. And it's unbelievable all that he did. And he begins to think about everything he's done and, and made. And, and he, he, he goes, you know, all that I've got, all the fruit of my work, I, I, when I'm gone, dead, it's going to go to someone else. And what if it goes to a fool? <laughs> and everything I've got is, is just, it's, it's wasted. And, and whereas he said there's a wisdom that leads him to hate life, what does he say now? He said, man, if that's what happens, he says, I despair. So now he's despairing. And by the way, uh, if you read your Old Testament, his son, who he handed everything to, all, you know, 40 years of political, economic, cultural development was handed to his son, Rehoboam. And you all, within it's got to be days, weeks, or months. All of that is gone. Because his, his son was truly a fool. The kingdom burst apart. Okay? Twelve tribes burst apart. Now it's civil war for the next 200 years. And, and God told him that would happen, which I think Solomon is reflecting on here, even as he tells us about this work or the, the, the fruit of his work. You work your whole life for something and then it's just gone. At this low point, he is in despair. And by the way, let's stop here because I, we need to feel the sense to which he feels. Some of us, and I think some of us quite frankly do. Uh, some, some of you are awake at night, even as he was. Because you go, it's just, is this it? Uh, there's a song I'm going to ask some of you to join me. I'm going to sing it solo unless you join me. And uh, it, will, it will age you, of course, but um, that's okay, okay? Because it will remind us where Solomon is. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. That was weak sauce. But there's not many of us in here. Where'd that come from? Hee-haw. It's filmed right here in Nashville. Iconic show. And kudos to the yell, the groan in the back. You know, I did this three times at Brentwood. And there's only one person that gave the whoa, you know, in all three of those services, gloom, despair, and agony. I mean, Solomon's in a place of gloom, despair, and agony, and, and it's like, who wants to go there? No one does, but here's the truth. We often don't make the turn to listen to the words of Solomon until we're at a place 
of gloom, despair, and agony. See, Solomon's living this life in order that we won't do what he did, okay? And he keeps telling us, don't, don't, but here's the truth, and it's true of me, and it's true of you. Most of us will not listen to Solomon until we've tried it ourselves, and it's at that point of, he was right, and I am so in the ditch, I can't get out. And at that point, you see, we have hope. Some of you are there right now. And, and the Bible teaches us that God himself will bring his kids to gloom, despair, and agony. I hate it. I don't like it. But it is in the economy of God to bring us there. Why? Because it's only from there that we'll look up and go, Solomon's right. And that's the moment of of the beginning of change. And by the way, that's the turning point we see in the text. There's a turn in this text. We're going to end with it. This turn, it's not a turn that says, oh, okay, now everything's okay. No, it's like, whoa, okay, now I see. Now life is still going to have its ups and downs. But we understand why? Look at the turn he makes. This is talking about the acceptance that brings joy. He says, verse 24, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give it to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after win. Verses 24 to 26 are known as the carpe diem passages. That's what Bible teachers call them, the carpe diem passages. It's the first of five carpe diem passages. What does carpe diem mean? Seize the Day, made popular by Robin Williams, 1986, Dead Poets Society, right? Carpe diem, seize the day, boys. Seize the day. And the idea, of course, was you don't have the past. Wait not for the future. Take your moment and seize it and squeeze from it. An extraordinary life. That was the message. And a lot of people love that message, took that message. Is that what Solomon is telling us here? Sort of. You know, it's like most things. It's true, but it's not the whole truth. It's not the whole truth. So let's take the whole truth here. Whole truth is this, and it's quite simple. Solomon is saying that it's the ordinary And the everyday things of life, it is uh, to eat, it is to drink, it's to work. And it's to come home and say, this is good. (laughs) This is a gift from God. Your work, your labor is a gift from God. Now, some of you are thinking, well, if, it, if it's a gift, I'd like a gift receipt. 
so I can return it. Now, I want to remind you that work is not part of the curse. As Rob gave us a, a very brief biblical theology of pleasure, may I give you a very brief summary, a brief biblical theology of work. Uh, work uh, precedes the fall. Let's, let's just imagine that this podium represents in a timeline. This is when Adam and Eve took of the fruit and plunged humanity into separation from God. Okay, this is the fall. Well, before the fall in creation, God created the, the world and all that's in it. He placed the man and a woman in a garden. And please note this. In the innocence of the garden, God gave them a J-O-B. <laughs> it was called work. Tend the garden. Now, it gets bigger because God said your, your job is you're going to co-rule and co-reign creation with me. I don't know, that's, that's an okay job. Sounds like an internship, maybe. No, are you kidding me? The, is there, I don't know. You know, I used to think that being president of the United States is probably the biggest job in the world. It's peanuts, y'all. I'm, I'm being serious. Is that, would that not be peanuts compared to co-reign, co-rule creation in relationship with the God who created it all? I'm talking about a significant Everlasting work. Wow. Now, when they chose to not trust God in that and they rebelled, humanity's, of course, plunged into fallenness from God and therefore uh, the curses came. But the curse was not, now work. No, 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 no. It was, here's a, you were made for a work and now that work is going to be really, really difficult and hard and weeds are going to come in where you're trying to grow things. The longing in you and in me to live a life that matters. To, to do a work in life, you know, to, do a, to, to, to be about life and do a work in life that, that outlives me and lives forever. That was not extinguished because of the fall. It was distorted it was bent up where it can't be made straight apart from God. But listen, that longing is real and remains. Does that make sense? Work. Now let me say it again. Work is the gift of God. And by the way, I'm not saying that work, i.e., if you'll become a missionary... You, you guys know this. You already are. If you'll go into full-time Christian work, you guys already know this. We believe you already are. No, no. So it's not saying be a pastor like Eric or Lloyd or Rob. You know, oh, Lloyd, yeah, your work really matters to God because you teach the Bible. No, no, no. Your work. Are you a, are you, are you, are you a stay-at-home mom and you're working to manage a family and raise Children, do you own your own business? Are you in music? Are you in art? Are you a doctor? Are you a lawyer? When you bring that work and say, this is the gift of God to me, and you do that work as unto God, man, that's a gift. And when you're doing it as unto God, trust me, 
you will do things in your work that last forever. I hope we all feel the gift of that and the weight of it. How is it that we miss this? Why, do we, why, why, don't, why don't more of us eat, drink, and know in our soul that this is good? How is it that we don't? He says here, he says, look, to, to, uh, to experience wisdom, knowledge, and joy, why don't we experience that? I don't want you to miss this. Do you notice that Solomon sees the ability for a person in the midst of their labor to eat, drink, and say this is good? He says this is from the hand of God, verse 24. He says, no one can experience enjoyment without God, verse 25. He says that it is God who has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy, verse 26. I think Bible teacher Ian Proven in an excellent commentary on Ecclesiastes says it best. He's speaking of this passage And he's extending it to the book as a whole when he says this, quote, Life in God's world is gift, not gain. Life in God's world is gift, not gain. Life in God's world is gift, not gain. does he mean? He, he means life is life. The experience of life is not something we, we work for and get so I can have life. You see, that's not, that's not how it works in God's economy. Life is gift. If I give you a gift, what do you do to enjoy it? What do you do to enjoy it? I give you a gift. What would you have to do? Receive it. Did you do anything? To be alive. You understand? Do we understand that? That what did we do to get life? We did nothing. Life itself is gift, not gain. And Solomon's coming to realize that just enjoying life, just just the ability to enjoy life and say, say work is good. You all understand? This is a gift. It's not something you have to study and learn about. And then I know it's, it's just receiving it as gift from God who is so gracious. And the question to us is, have, have you, have you, do you accept your life with all that it is as gift? It's gift. Every moment. Who can eat and have enjoyment without him? No one. This is the acceptance that leads to joy. Okay, Lloyd, say it again because I might have missed it. Well, let me say it again. The acceptance that leads to joy is to say in every moment of life, God, this is gift, and I receive it. We're going to have lunch together. Will you, will you view what we do in this room after the second service? Will you come in here and go, come on, let's go eat so we can go home, whatever? Or will you stop and say, this is gift that, that I get to eat with people I go to church with gift. That breath just now, 
That was gift. It's good. God's given it. I might say it this way. If you can whisper thank you a lot, you'll be on the path of receiving life as gift. Of course, Paul says in the New Testament, doesn't he? Give thanks in everything. Okay, I'm going over. I know this has been long with the survey, but we must hit this. Okay, Lord, I got it. I'm going to say thank you a lot today. I'm going to receive life as gift. In this passage, Solomon raises a, a, a problem. Because I can go through life and I can say, that's gift, Lord, that's gift. But there's this thing out in front of me. <laughs> he said it earlier. There's this thing coming that, that uh, I don't know, it, 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 you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's the biggie that kind of ruins it all. What is it? What are we going to do about that? You see, I, I don't believe that a human, truly, a, a human being can, can walk in the giftedness of life if you've got death hanging over your head and you know it's coming. Uh, some of you may know this now, and I'll, I'll say this because I know his, his son and uh, daughter-in-law have been, been visiting here, but... I got a call this week, and some of you know uh, Fred and Anna Van Dusen. Um, they're, they're at the Brentwood campus, but some of you know Fred and Anna. Fred's in his 80s. They're, they were in Florida. Uh, fam- brought the whole family together. They're all together. Uh, Fred gets out of the water. He's got some pain in his leg. Goes to the doctor. Put him in the hospital. He's dead within 24 hours. Godly man. Just a sweet man. Uh, on family vacation, you know. I spoke with Anna, and, and she's, well, we know where Fred is, all that, but still there's a lot. And it just hit, and this was yesterday, I'm on the, you know, I'm on the phone, and, and it's like, no one escapes death. And so, so, so our only hope is, because here's what we know about death. It's certain. <laughs> it's certain. And so our only hope would be, okay, if it's, if it's certain, is it the end? Because if it's certain and life goes along and it hits this wall and it's the end and you're forgotten and it's over, then I would absolutely endorse that you get as many buckets as you can and live life like crazy and do everything. That would make logical sense. But if death is, not a, is the end, but if, if there's something that goes beyond death, then, then we've got to pause and go, oh, because because that that would go forever, whereas this life goes for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Talk about a blink of the eye. The Bible teaches us that death goes beyond the grave. Death is the separation of the soul from the body. Uh, death in the garden was the separation of Adam and Eve from relationship with God. Death is separation. It's not end. And so the Bible teaches us that when we die, and unless Jesus comes back, every one of us will die, our soul will be separated from our body. And in that moment, we are dead. And you know what? This body, is, is, it rots. 
Now, it's valuable, immeasurable valuable, because it'll be resurrected and connected with my soul one day, but not in the immediacy of death. But the soul itself, the, the, the reality of the soul in every human being lives forever. So always remember this, okay? Whether you know Christ or not, whether you're a pagan, agnostic, whatever, it doesn't matter. All, if, all of us sinners, whatever, everyone lives how long? Forever, y'all. Truly, everyone lives forever. The question is, will you live with God or apart from God? Now, with that said, and I've got to end. You talk about a gift to receive. God said, I love you so much that I'm going to send my only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You talk about the gift par excellence. It's Jesus. And when you put your trust in Christ, your sins are forgiven, you're clothed in his righteousness. And you can live in the present moment, whether your death, quite frankly, and you don't know it, is here, here, or out there somewhere. Death need not constrain you. Now, some of you have wondering, what's the numbers behind me? Some of you figured it out. It's not till you go get your kids, you know. All of you would be gone. What is it? What do you figure that is behind me? Huh? Well, it's good. It's close. It's the world death clock. And so when, when this service started at 9 a.m., that's how many people in the world have died. And a person dies every two seconds. And one day, our number will click. I'm smiling like it'd be a good thing. It's, it's, you know, it's not. I don't, it's not the way it's meant to be, but I am smiling in this sense because if you know Christ, when you hit death, oh my goodness, it is not a dead end. You just step into all the pleasure, joy, wisdom that you were made for. That's what death is for the believer. And if you have not trusted Christ, would you trust him today? Let's stand up. I need to let us get out of here. And I'll say this as I close in prayer. If you have not trusted Jesus, believe today. Believe that he died on the cross for your sin, that he did that for you. He died the death your, your sin earned. He was buried and rose again. Now, why did he rise again? Because he had no death of his own. God was satisfied with his payment. And therefore, when you trust Jesus, his righteousness clothes you and his blood forgives you of all your sin and you need never fear death. Oh, it's the great equalizer, yes. But it's also the door to life as God intends. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. The words of Solomon, they are like kryptonite to gaslighters. The, the, the lies that the world, the flesh, and the devil would whisper to us that make us question our reality, 
the, the reality that, Lord, when we're still enough and quiet enough, we know deep in our hearts there's got to be more than this. And there is. And it's all in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you would like to pray with someone, would you come on up here? We've always got someone over here to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. God bless. See you at lunch.